Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you want to know whether you should specialize in a particular species or how a song can change your career and get you into wildlife filmmaking or how you go from Silicon Valley to become a marine cinematographer, then you are in the right place because my guest today is going to tell you all these things. My guest is Andy Casagrande the Fourth, or his full name is Andy Brandy Casagrande the Fourth, and I have a funny, funny story to tell you about Andy. Uh, before I do that, let me just let's just have a think about what Andy is. Andy is a uh, he's like a cross between a man and a mermaid, which I guess would make him a merman. Andy is a merman. He spends more time under the ocean than he does topside. He he swims with great white sharks. He films great white sharks from cages and also outside of cages. He's a huge advocate for sharks and the need to conserve them. And not only is he a marine cinematographer, so is his wife. And his children are also getting in on the game as well. I've just seen recently on his social media that his kids are now taking their scuba diving tests and becoming divers as well which is fantastic. Now, I haven't actually met Andy in the flesh, but after our chat, after recording this episode, you'll, you'll hear within this episode that Andy and I were in the same place filming the sardine run back in 2006. And he was there with a certain network. I was there filming uh, for a show, uh, Wild Events, and we were only there for five days. And, and we realized that basically we were there. We were talking about the same people. That's when I met Bob Cranston, uh, another cinematographer who's sadly passed now. But we, we realized we were at the same place at the same time. Anyway, so after the podcast uh, recording ended, uh, we just, you know, we were having a laugh about the fact that we were in the same place at the same time. And we didn't realize that we didn't actually meet each other. And then uh, we signed off. And about an hour later, I get an email from Andy and he sent me a picture of him and Bob Cranston on, on the boat, out on the beach, uh, just before they're heading out to go and film the sardine run. And I look at it and I think, gosh, that's so similar to some of the pictures I have. And so I, I thank him and say, hey, here's some pictures I took of the same trip while, you know, while I was there. Now, I didn't have any pictures of me. I, you know, I wasn't into doing selfies and stuff at that time. And, and just, you know, I would just take kind of scenic shots. And so the only shot I had that was kind of similar to show that, hey, yeah, I was in the same place, you know, same time, was a shot of some boats on the beach and the crews next to our boat. And so... I took, sent this picture off and it, it had some people in it and the boats and it looked very similar to Andy's shot. 
I get a I get a an email back literally within about ten minutes, and Andy's going, "Oh my gosh, that's me in the picture! You just sent me a picture of me that you took," and and sure enough, I've got a picture of him. I think Charles Maxwell's in the picture. Maybe Bob. I think Bob Cranston's there as well. And they're all just chatting by their boat. And I'm just taking random scenic shots of the beach. So I sent him a picture of him with me standing, I don't know, 15, 20 feet away from him uh, at the same time while we were there back in 2006. So there we go. We had never met in the flesh, although we stood about 15 to 20 feet away back in 2006 while we were both filming the Sardine Run. So there we go. This was a great, great chat. Uh, loved every minute of it. I could have carried on speaking to Andy for the best part of eight hours. Uh, it didn't go on that long. It did go on longer than this podcast, which is about an hour long, right? So there's another 20 minutes or so. I think it's like 23 minutes. If you want to hear the extra content, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash MWFP. That's Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. Patreon.com MWFP, that's where all the extra stuff is. It, uh, you know, if you sign up, it is the best way to help support this podcast. It helps me keep bringing you these amazing guests on the podcast. It also, I'm considering doing these every two weeks. I've said this before, I really want to get this to be a bi-weekly podcast instead of once a month. So if you can help out, we can make that happen. You're going to get extras like this extra 20 minutes of the podcast with Andy and I. There's also catch-up conversations on there where I go and speak with past guests for anywhere from a half an hour. They're basically full podcasts. Some of them are an hour long. They're full podcast episodes with previous guests, catching up with them to find out what they've been doing since I last spoke with them. So, Best way to help out and support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash MWF. Check out all the tiers, check out all the bonus and the extras and everything you get when you join the Patreon family. I would really appreciate it. All right, there it is. Let's get on with the interview after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is proudly powered by Battleborn Batteries. Let the power of lithium take you on your journeys across the outdoor world. Battleborn Batteries is the industry's top choice for lithium-ion batteries. Reliable, safe, and long-lasting, Battleborn makes the sustainable and lightweight drop-in replacement for traditional lead-acid batteries. Are you ready to make the switch to lithium and switch to green energy? If so, all batteries are in stock now, and you can shop today at battlebornbatteries.com. Hey, Andy. Hey, man. Thanks so much for taking the time out to be on the podcast. How are you doing this morning? Thanks for having me. I'm doing really well, man. I'm sorry it took so long to line this up, but I'm really excited and I appreciate your patience. Hey, that's all right. You're a busy man. I mean, most of the time I think I've tried to get in contact with you, you're probably 15 meters under the surface of the ocean. So <laughs> so I get it. It's okay. Yeah. I, I appreciate Sounds you being available right. now. I love to be. You yeah. got it, man. And it looks like you're in an awesome workshop there because you've just got like camera gear and aqua lungs and all sorts of fun stuff behind. It's like a that's like a filmmaker's a diving filmmaker's dream right there. This yeah, this is my official man cave. It's essentially my garage, but no cars are ever allowed in here. 
Uh, but yeah, I built a lot of gadgets in here. I go here to escape and uh, just dig deep into the tech. And also just uh, my son likes to engineer stuff. I got 3D printers, uh, a bunch of Home Depot style, you know, tools or whatnot. I'm a total hack engineer, but I love doing it. And, and that's a huge part about the business, about the industry. As you know, if you can build cool things and innovate and get cool shots that other people can't, and share that knowledge as well, then uh, you're going to be much better off and you're going to get more phone calls, more jobs. Uh, I keep getting these texts roll through. I should have hit the do not disturb button. But, um, <laughs> That's right. We're okay. good. Um, I mean, we'll get to that because re resourcefulness as a camera person in this industry is everything. If you don't know right. how to how to you know problem solve in the field when you're out on a boat or in the middle of africa and you can't get stuff working then you're done right so we'll get to yeah. that we i want to get to the tech side of things but first of all the way i start most of these is just to get to know you a little bit and find out your journey from where it all began for for andy so what was it that led you into this lifestyle this career what, how did it all start I often tell people it was completely by accident. It was my like greatest mistake of my life, so to speak, because I never, ever planned to become a wildlife filmmaker, cameraman, director, whatever. I never planned to get into filmmaking. It happened by complete accident because I chased my passions for specifically great white sharks. I was born in New York City in 1977. And as soon as I had the cognition, the, the ability to understand things, you know, I'm watching TV, reading books, whatever. And I saw my first great white shark on television. And I, I at first didn't believe it. I thought it was fake because your parents always tell you, don't believe everything you see on TV. If Superman jumps off a bridge, it doesn't mean you can. So when I saw these great white sharks jumping out of the water, smashing into boats, doing all this amazing stuff, I just thought it was fake. And I didn't even know what CGI was back then. But Quickly, as I watched more of these films, I read more books, I started seeing these sharks in other areas just from television, I realized they were real. I would go to museums and there would be pictures of sharks or statues or, or replicas. And it was just a complete, it, it completely absorbed me completely. So ever since I was a little kid, I just had a fascination with sharks. And I know a lot of people like that, or a lot of people that contact me today, they're like, man, I also, I can, that's all I think about is sharks. So um, I basically, uh, uh, long story short, I, I did, as I got out of high school, I decided I was going to be a marine biologist because I wanted to study sharks. I went to Florida Tech, did one year of marine bio. It really wasn't for me. I, I got straight A's. I was able to memorize stuff, regurgitate it, but it wasn't that interesting. Uh, the calculus, the chemistry, the biology was cool. But anyway, I peeked into the graduate students window, fifth and sixth year marine bio, and they're in a lab. Uh, writing papers, publishing, publishing. And I'm like, this is, I can't do the scientific academic route. I switched my major to psychology because my mom was a paranoid schizophrenic, just fascinating to me. She would sometimes not recognize us and pull out a butcher knife and, and threaten us just, just very briefly until somehow we would speak to her or she would somehow snap out of it and recognize it. I, not to try to demonize my mom in any way. She was <laughs> Really interesting, and I think I apply a lot of that to my work with sharks because people are afraid of sharks, and they wield weapons as well, and they look scary, but if you understand them and they understand your motives and vice versa, you can survive just fine. You can get along. You can coexist. You can have an amazing relationship, and I had an amazing relationship with my mom, but anyway, I learned a lot. Long story short, I know I keep saying that. No, you're good. You're good. we got plenty of time, so don't okay. worry. Okay. <laughs> But uh, I then um, I, I graduated with a degree in psychology and a minor in biology, and I didn't 
I did not um, use it. Well, that's not true. I immediately that went into software. My brother was working at a software company out in California and offered me a job working as a tech support engineer. So like anything I do, I, I took it in full stride. I got my Microsoft Certified Systems Engineering Certificate. I started doing networking, ghosting machines around the world. I worked in London. I met Damien Hurst randomly on a, a, a houseboat and partied with him while I was doing did, IT Did you stuff. see his, his cut-up shark? Yes, I went to, uh, I think it was called the pharmacy in Notting Hill or no, Notting, yeah, yeah. Notting Hill. And uh, he gave me one of his little Zippo lighters at the time. He was painting the planes of British Airways with butterflies and spots. And he gave me this awesome Zippo with butterflies on it. Wow. And there's some, there's some other stories with Damien that were pretty <laughs> wild. But um, long story short, that, that was the most exciting part about the IT. The computer work was really kind of like, monotonous and, and it's their computers you tell them what to do they do it and then sometimes they don't you update the firmware and apply some patches and you're good but anyway that whole time i was working out in silicon valley and i was i was good enough at my job that i could do it all and then have like three hours a day still at work researching sharks so while my bosses weren't watching google was just starting to explode the internet was really exploding i learned about great whites where i could find them where i could research them i decided to learn how to scuba dive and i i got my cert certification in Monterey Bay and on my very first open ocean scuba dive I lost my scuba instructor and my dive master because my mind drifted off to great white sharks right. and as they were doing their skills I turned around just looking for sharks hoping one might show up <laughs> and then I turned around and they were gone I'm like wow this is a great way to start my diving career by losing all of my dive buddies and the instructor wow anyway um I then how, I, how old I was were you at that point just, just. I was twenty years old when I. Uh, oh, sorry. I, I. It was the year two thousand. I'm forty four right now. Uh, I'm not good at math. So was I twenty? Twenty or twenty two? Twenty years ago. Twenty two. Yeah, I was. I think I was twenty two years two, old. 2020, but, yeah. But it was the year two thousand, and um, that changed my life. Just having that experience of breathing underwater and seeing the underwater world. I mean, people always use that. It changed my life, but it was the coolest thing ever because yeah. now I was sharing the same liquid space with these apex predators that i so badly wanted to see and i still had never seen one except for on television but i then um uh, while again i was working at a software company i wrote this funny song called the great white shark song and i on sent it out it's on youtube yeah, it doesn't yeah, have I've many hits it's on my it's uh, on my favorite page Hey, so, thanks, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, I wrote it to kind of, it's meant to, uh, you know, tell the story of what I would do if I was a great white shark. And it talks about being misunderstood and get, get, uh, humans being aggressive and then me making mistakes sometimes. And then the take home message is like, uh, you know, if you don't respect the ocean, you don't respect the sharks, then we're not going to respect you. It's it's sort of a bit of an anthropomorphication, but sure. whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, so I sent that to research teams in Australia, South Africa, and, and the USA. Uh, the USA barely responded. It was out at the Fairlines. They sent me like a, a newsletter that talked about whales. And I was like, okay, clearly they didn't read my email. Uh, and then, uh, but I had no experience. So I was yeah. offering, I'll, you know, I, I'm a tech support guy. I can help build your shark network. I mean, I had nothing to offer really yeah, yeah. other than this great white shark the song. song. <laughs> yeah, so. There was a research team in South Africa. The Australians are like, yeah, mate, cool song, but, you know, we, we hate Americans. Not really, but they, <laughs> they're pretty much like, hey, we're all good. We're pretty pretty much Aussie down here. We're doing our thing. Yeah. But I found a research team in Cape Town, South Africa, which was run by a, a Swiss scientist, actually, uh, Michael Scholl. He's, a, he's one of my best friends. And um, 
uh, he invited me down, even though they had no space. He thought my song was really funny. I was passionate. Long story short, he invited me down to work as an unpaid research cameraman for the White Shark Trust. When I say cameraman, I was taking stills back then, dorsal fin identification, because every great white has a unique dorsal sure. fin, like a print or a fin print. And that is what changed my life. Because when I moved to South Africa, I saw my first great white shark for real. I was like, holy fucking shit. This is unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I, instead of staying for three months, I ended up staying for all, essentially three years. I did have to wow. leave to renew my visa. I backpacked around Africa, hitchhiked around to get, uh, you know, leave the country, come back in. To the point where they're like, hey, dude, you can't come back in like this again. So the research team applied for a research visa, which I got. And then I went there and then National Geographic, Discovery Channel, the BBC, everyone was going to Cape Town to film Great White Sharks. Yeah. And I just so happened to get really lucky. And, you know, it's also about creating your own luck. As you know, sure. you can't yeah. just sit there yeah. hoping that your life is going to change and incredible things are just going to come out of the blue. Sometimes maybe maybe you bought Bitcoin a long time ago and you're a billionaire. But um, bottom line is national geographic came down to make a documentary um and they offered me a staff job at the end of the film shoot i was i uh, wasn't even supposed to be on it but my best buddy mike Scholl said hey can andy come as a safety diver he's, he's pretty handy with the camera too and uh, i i was served as a safety diver for um the the main cameraman the dp another be best friend of mine andy mitchell amazing he's a great guy you should have on this as well he's won multiple emmys he's like he looks like russell crowe he acts like russell crowe but he films like uh, one of the best DPs in the world. Really awesome sound guy. But I worked under him uh, as a as, as assistant. Uh, they offered me a staff job. I moved to Washington, D.C., and that's what exploded my my career, so to speak. Uh, they wow. sent me to do polar bears, great white sharks, killer whales, you know, crocodiles, all the apex predators. And you had mentioned earlier about um, asking about my wife, Emma. One of the most romantic love stories that I know is that I, I was on a 105-day assignment in the Serengeti, national park in tanzania making a film called super pride about the largest pride of lions in the serengeti national park arguably the largest pride of lions in the world at the time now i think zambia they, they found some bigger ones but bottom line is after uh, about two and a half months into the shoot um these three swedish girls and one um finnish uh, let's just call them four swedish girls showed up <laughs> there were really three swedes and one from denmark maybe yeah and uh they four scandinavians yeah, I called them the Swedish bikini team, basically, okay. because we, we, uh, it was me and two other cameramen, because uh, it was a long assignment, and I was a still, and uh, I wasn't quite uh, an A cameraman yet. I was shooting the Phantom, I was shooting uh, a lot of time lapse, a lot of the inserts, and then we would have other big DPs come in and doing a lot of the super long lens, the boring stuff, in my opinion. I got to do the fun gadget stuff. And, yeah, right. And, so anyway, uh, my wife Emma shows up with her friends. They end up at our, our film camp, which is called Tawiri, the Tanzanian Wildlife Research Institute. And that was the only place they could find to stay. Their driver knew someone there. They came. And then me and these three other guys, like when when the girls showed up, of course, we, we couldn't control ourselves. We were like a <laughs> pack of hyenas surrounding like a gazelle or a right. little herd of gazelle. And uh, the girls picked up on that because we were trying to make there was plenty of space in the house for them to sleep. But we had taken over the whole compound. So we're moving out of each other's rooms, trying to make uh, a place where they could sleep in their own room, in their own beds or whatever. And they could see that we hadn't seen females in, in two and a half months. And they're like, you know what? We're going to sleep outside in a tent. And we're like, 
you can just sleep outside in a tent. We're here making a film about the largest pride of lions in Africa that live here in this territory. Hyenas, leopards. There's all kinds of shit that can kill you. They're like, yeah, we're going to sleep outside. <laughs> so they were uh, clearly freaked out. But long story short, they, they were staying for two nights. The next night when we came home from filming, they were, we were there. And we put we played our cool guy cards. We we were less interested. Yeah, hey girls, what's up? We're just downloading the kills that we got today. Oh, do you want to see? So we played it way more cool. And long long story short, geez, I gotta stop saying that. Uh, Emma and I, uh, uh, we really hit it off. We only knew each other for about uh, those roughly twenty four hours, forty eight hours. But we sort of fell in love at first sight. And then we constantly kept in touch. I stayed for the remaining end of the month. She went off with her friends to. Zanzibar and they we were flirting by text and then uh, we did that for about six months and then finally she's like I gotta come see you I gotta come to uh, America so she flew over happened to watch the Dexter marathon on the plane and she's like wait a second I've only known this guy for a short time he kind of looks a little bit like Dexter what if he's a serial killer Andy I, anyway, I gotta stop you one second because you're yeah. talking about Dexter oh, and you've split your lip oh you've my god right. Dexter <laughs> <laughs> holy shit so I am Dexter. Holy. Oh, that couldn't have been that time better. That was such better. good timing, man. That was, that was uh, Listen, I'm just going to wipe it off because actually we'll talk about that growing up and, and bleeding. I remember being a big fan. Of, oh, that is hilarious. How did I not know <laughs> It was that? so good. You got onto Dexter as, as blood started trickling down. You split your Oh, my leg. God. Oh, hilarious. Okay, well, that was <laughs> couldn't fantastic. have timed that better. That, that's that was pretty good. That was really uh, good. But anyway, I'll move on from the romantic. Uh, well, I actually, I, I, I love that because I met my wife filming Black Bears in Tahoe. So I was filming Amazing. with National, National Geographic, came over from Excellent. the UK, met her for four days. And then it was such a, you know, we had such a kind of a thing going on after four days of just knowing each other. I mean, we you know, nothing happened. But right. then a year later, our producer hired her to come into the jungle for three weeks and film with us. So we, we ended up spending three weeks in the Amazon Peruvian awesome. jungle. And that was That's it. So and then cool. I gave everything up and moved over here. So that was like 14, 15 years That's ago. That's so, so cool. Yeah, and yeah. for the record, nothing happened with me and Emma too. She was a total, well, I, I was doing my best to be a gentleman and she was yeah, a yeah. total, uh, you know, madam or whatever sure. you call, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. Yep. But um. But yeah, man, um, that's really cool. That's very cool. I mean, because that's a big thing now with um, just working as a, a filmmaker, you have to balance life, uh, your 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 family life or your personal life and your work life. Because as you yeah. know, especially the BBC jobs, you're out in the field for months at a time away. You're sitting in a hide or you're far off on set phone only. And like um, it's it can be really taxing on relationships. Yeah. And when I first worked, I was, I was living in, under my desk in National Geographic. I gave up my apartment because I was never there and I got sick of paying rent. Uh, living out of a North Base bag, I had a, a mountain bike in DC, bike around. And then, but when I met Emma, like I realized, hey, there's more to life than just sharks and lions and, and polar bears. Uh, but that's also how the, you know, I made my living. But when I met her, she was a fashionista hairstylist from Stockholm. And uh, I, she eventually, I sort of trained her up as a, a photographer, just trial by fire. Um, and she's now an excellent photographer. She's been out of the cage with great whites, tiger sharks, hammerheads, almost got decapitated by a tiger shark, which was a pretty sketchy ass story. But um, she's still alive. We have two kids now. And I balance out work and uh, work and family life as best yeah. I can. I think I'm, I've gotten a lot better at it over the years. Um, 
Well, well, yeah, uh, while we're on that, let's let's talk about that very quickly because it's so important. You know, one of the things that I've done with my life, my my career, is I've taken different avenues from a lot of people because I want to have a family life. I don't want to be the guy who's out there for 10 months of a year not with my family. And so I have a five right. and a nine-year-old, and I decided, you know, they come first in terms of making sure that we enjoy our life together and then i'm going to work okay. everything else in around it and so i'm doing all sorts of other things within you know i'm not doing so much international travel anymore i reduce that down because i don't want to be away from it, unless they can come with me right? right so how do you balance that what what have you done to to, to make that work so I wasn't balancing it very well when the kids were first born. So mine are six and eight years old. I got a son named Ace and a daughter named Nova. Ace stands for Andy, Emma, Casagrande, the A-C-E, -E, and then yes. Nova, uh, Swedish name. So uh, at first, when they were really small, as you know, like, you know, they're not really super interactive quite yet. And, you know, not to be They can't hold a camera. I don't yeah, know they can't up hold with a it. camera, right? <laughs> And not to be stereotypical, but Emma, you know, she really uh, embraced the motherhood side of things. And I embraced working as much as possible because I, I needed to make money because now we had a family. We needed to buy a bigger house. We needed to buy a house. Yeah, we yeah. needed to buy diapers and get health insurance and all this stuff that I never really cared about or thought about. Now we needed two cars. And like, you know, anyway, I, so I worked my ass off for the, when they were very young to the point and I would try to be there for birthdays and try to be there for anything else. I was there for both of their births, which was, which was amazing. My yeah. wife was nervous because I was in Cape town and she was about two weeks out. She's like, I'm starting to feel things. Yeah. I'm like, I'm coming home now. So nice. I, yeah. I got home, but now um, I I'm able, I've been super lucky in my career to uh, ha build up a huge network of clients a uh, big network of friends and producers and, and global sort of connections to where I can now cherry pick my jobs and say no to the jobs I don't want to do. Cause we all know there's those yeah. jobs out there. I do not Absolutely. like reality TV. Yeah. I know it's popular, but I hate filming people to yeah. be honest. Yeah. If I'm not filming animals, I won't do it. It's yeah. okay. Now I, I understand the value now of humans in the same frame it's as true. an animal people relate to it the coexistence factor there's some sketchy shit we're doing sometimes with the animals i just posted something crazy yesterday where my friend I almost got his hand bit off i saw and, i mean know, he, he was touching the teeth it looked like yes and you know it's a double-edged sword i get it people will lose respect for me sometimes they're like dude andy i thought you love sharks and you're a conservationist and you're always preaching that we should coexist and not mess with them or respect them that is the opposite of what you preach but sometimes i'm just like hey you know what? We do stupid shit sometimes. Like, don't yeah. shoot the messenger. Hey, my yeah. friend Jimmy is also an amazing guy. Sometimes we also get pressured into doing crazy stuff that we may not do if a camera's not pointed at sure. us. Well, what was I he trying? Was say, he just trying to touch the nose as it went by? He was trying. From what I remember, he was trying to open the mouth. So, like uh, okay, in South push Africa, the nose they up. would touch the nose and yeah. the shark gates. Like I have a photo yeah. behind teeth me. Teeth come out. Teeth, teeth come out. Yeah. So it was kind of going to be a shot for the phantom for me. Yeah. But then I noticed I actually pulled out wide because I, I, I was taking longer. And I thought, you know what? It's pretty interesting. And I'm like, Jimmy's fucking pushing it, man. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy that films him getting his Losing arm in. Off, but, but, if but it would go happen, viral. <laughs> yeah. And I, I still wouldn't want to get credit for that. But anyway, yeah. long story short, he did. He was not expecting it to react that fast. And I, I've had encounters with sharks where they do react way faster than you expect. And 
And a lot of people, you know, you, you get so comfortable working with the animals, you forget that like, hey, they're just kind of letting you uh, be in yeah. their liquid space. They're, they're respecting you, but you can't, you play with fire, you can get burned kind of thing. So yeah. luckily he's, he was okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I post stuff like that, but I also do it because I'm human, man. I'm not perfect. And I, I think people, I think it's interesting. Uh, and yeah. I also don't think, you know, some people are like, how dare you, when you touch the shark, the bacteria from our hands is going to kill them. I'm like, you don't know anything about sharks if you think, but, but anyway, uh, at the same time, I'm not here to, I like to be a proponent of kindness. I get worked up. I get, I can get angry. I can get frustrated, but I think everyone out there is not everyone, but I think the majority of the people out there are trying to do good. And again, shark week's a double edged sword. People give me shit all the time. Shark week. You just demonize sharks. You're just doing it to make money. You don't care about the sharks at all. You just want to be famous. It's like, I was always a cameraman. I became a presenter by accident because someone didn't show up for work one day and they're like, Andy, <laughs> do you want to be in the show? Can you say three words without fucking it up? I'm like, yeah, I can. Without See, bleeding. I yeah. I'm still bleeding. Um, no, no, yeah, no. So, uh, can you say three words without bleeding? <laughs> yeah. Without bleeding. So I totally by accident ended up on camera. And I think the directors and producer of the audience thought, uh, because I have no filter, uh, I end up swearing a little too much. My dad right. doesn't like that. My brothers say, do you really need to swear? Sometimes Shark Week will just put beeps in there, even if I didn't swear, which is like, really? Right. But <laughs> I get it. People want that He didn't role. swear enough on this one, so we need to add extra beeps. Pretty, pretty oh, much. Man. It's happened multiple times. So I, But again, if I really thought I was doing more harm than good, I would stop. Yeah. And I, I just I, so I, I do believe uh, even when I was watching Shark Week as a kid, you can either get fearful or fascinated. And I believe the majority of the people are fascinated. It's not people that are watching Shark Week. that are getting scared that are murdering sharks and cutting their fins off. Certainly, you know, fear doesn't help. You want to fall in love with something to care about it. But that's a whole other whole other conversation. Well, yeah, and, shark and it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you do a lot of Shark Week. I mean, Shark Week, I would say, is probably I mean, what would you say in terms of percentage of what you film Shark Week is? Oh, geez. I, when I used to work on staff at National Geographic and I did a ton of uh, topside long lens stuff on the Phantom from all those things I had mentioned, uh, yeah, polar bears, yeah. cheetahs, everything else. Um, but when I when I left Nat Geo, not left, when I, I kept getting calls from Discovery when I was on staff at Nat Geo. And that's right. taboo. You, you yeah, cannot yeah. work sure. for the enemy when you're yeah. on staff. As soon as I went freelance, I was fair game to do Shark Week. So I started yeah. as a cameraman and then I accidentally ended up in a show. And then they started calling me every year. We're like, hey, can you do this show? This show. I mean, yeah. Shark Week will do 20, 30, 40 hours of shark programming a year. So yeah, as crazy. a filmmaker, I mean, you know, no, yeah, what is yeah. there? How one grizzly bear film a year? <laughs> yeah, what do you say? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, one yeah, line, if you're one lucky. good line film. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's a great, it's a great industry to be in if you want to get work and you love sharks and you love the water. But I would say, yeah, as of late, it's 85 uh, percent. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll do the occasional slow-mo commercial or shoot or I'll do a, a passion project or a um, or my, my own thing or whatever. But <clears throat> it's kind of hard to turn down like, hey, Andy, we want to send you to um, New Zealand to film a new population of great white, a new hotspot. We want to send you to the Arctic sure. to do this. Polar. So. 
As and it's know, those experiences you got in it for, right? I mean, going way oh, back, like you said, that's why you wanted. That's what you wanted to do, and now here you are oh, being offered the primo of yes. you know, career jobs every year to go and I do what you want to do. How could you not turn that down? What What I do you think play. in terms of um, you know the vilification, right? That people think of sharks in general, like wolves, sharks. You know, yeah. they're vilified because all we hear about is you know on the main news is, yeah. oh, someone got bitten in Byron Bay, Australia. Yeah. Someone got bitten off of Durban, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but how about the 25 million sharks that peacefully swam by yeah. the shore this morning? <laughs> you know. Imagine if they announced on the news every someone, someone died from a heart attack or a right. car crash. Like, exactly. Another person yeah. died. Another, But, like, your fucking car is so much more dangerous. Popcorn, yeah. hot dogs. And we've all yeah. heard these analogies, sure. uh, but it's so true. Yeah. And you don't hear the good stories. You only hear the bad. I mean, the reality is if sharks were interested in eating us and they, they saw us as a viable prey item, they would be eating us every single day. All the time. When, yeah. when in reality, fatalities are usually in the single digits every year. There yeah. only there was one fatal shark attack in America this year, and it was on Christmas Eve, five days, six days before the end of the year. It was a great white shark off Amoro Bay, body border, surfing in a river mouth, murky, dark water. It was raining. There was runoff. All those factors came into play. And unfortunately, um, the shark came up. I mean, they're not actively looking for body borders to eat. They're looking for seals and other things. So they they don't want that toothpick in their mouth at the same time as that meat. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, no, so, I mean, it is. It's a crazy. It's a crazy way that we 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 think about these things in general. So, in terms of Shark Week, how do you think the the visibility of Shark Week and and learning about sharks and education and awareness and all that kind of stuff plays into people becoming more understanding of what a shark is? That it's an apex predator of the ocean. That it has a reason for being there. And when these things happen, we are in their space. So, you know, 100%. How- you know, and it, it is tough for some people to navigate because I have seen years and Shark Week has gone this. It's gone yeah, every yeah. some years. It's super sciencey. Yeah. Some years it's Megalodon's back and it's alive yeah. and the whole world's freaking out because half of them believe Megalodon's <laughs> still right. around. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even me, I made a joke about Megalodon biting this shark. And I also joked that it could have been Bigfoot or Shaquille O'Neal. And people still got pissed. They're like, I can't believe you're spreading that misinformation about Megalodon. I'm like, Jesus. Like, I didn't realize Instagram was only for strictly clinical conversations. Like, I'll save my jokes for LinkedIn or something. But anyway, (laughs) I think one thing I have to say about Shark Week, which a really good friend of mine, Jeff Kerr, who is a legendary Shark Week producer, who is the Air Jaws inventor. uh, He basically started that franchise of Air Jaws. Uh, he said, listen, man, when people talk trash on Shark Week, just basically tell them this. Like, do you guys remember the movie Jaws? When Jaws came out, the whole world became completely petrified, completely yeah. irrationally, yeah. unbelievably afraid of sharks to the point where you were a hero if you went out and murdered sharks. Montauk, yeah. up in New York, up in Cape Cod, you'd go catch a shark, put it up on a dock. I'm a badass. I'm saving our children. I'm ridding yeah. our oceans of this horrible demon. And now... Shark Week came along in the 80s, I believe, slowly. And still, when they started out, it was a lot of blood and guts. And people were watching because it was like, okay, here's sharks. I remember Jaws. Jaws was in the 70s. And anyway, as Shark Week continued, it slowly started to develop this cult following of people that every year they had Shark Week parties. They couldn't wait. That was the 
best shark week, best week of the year. And they, it got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where there's thousands of Instagram groups, thousands of shark conservation groups, not just because of shark week, but it gives a unified front uh, uh, for people to see and put sharks to be on the front of their radar. And they become the most famous wildlife creatures on the planet, even more famous than some Hollywood actors. And now when people kill sharks, drag them behind the boat, uh, burn them, cut their fins off. And if it goes on the internet, these people get death threats. They get the federal fishing game. And they get the FBI, the police check them down because people won't stand for it. Yeah. Certainly there's douchebags out there that still hate sharks, still want to kill them. And I was going to say that's fine, but it is not fine. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, all, all of that, I, I think that's so clear these days. I mean, you know, raising awareness, however it works. I mean, you could, you know, looking at Steve Irwin, right? Steve Irwin was someone who came along and he got a lot of backlash because of what he was doing. But if you look at the good he did in terms of awareness for wildlife, then yeah, there, there's times when he did stuff that was unnecessary. But right. the awareness for the people who would never have watched a wildlife show is immense. The kids That's who exactly were never right. into wildlife, the, the people who, you know, just wasn't their thing, watching natural history, now watch natural history because they relate to it more. And, exactly. you know, you've got Coyote Peterson now on YouTube, you know, who's, who's doing epic <laughs> shows, who's just, who's, you know, got massive following because he's doing something very similar and people can relate to that. Similar I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, it's easier to stereotype people I saw one video of the guy and he gets bit by this giant thing and he's screaming yeah. and crying and freaking out. I'm like, what an idiot. Yeah. Then I started watching. Actually, I, I only don't watch YouTube too much. Then I met with another good friend of mine, a YouTuber. He's like, he, the guy came, his name came up, Kyrie Peterson, and he started speaking really highly of him and about the education. I'm like, really? I thought yeah. the dude just gets bit by things for clickbait. He's like, no, he does that. But look at his other stuff. I watched yeah. his other stuff. I'm like, actually, he does teach a lot. He does, He's yeah. really passionate. Sure, you're going to get the clickbait, but like you said, with Steve Irwin, um, some people are like, there's absolutely no reason to jump on that crocodile. He didn't have to do it, yeah. but because he did it, millions of people saw it. Little kids were inspired. Like, you got to take the good with the bad, yeah. the bad you, with the good, as long as you're doing more good than bad, you, I believe. You can't have it both forward. ways. Yeah, there's got to be, like you said, clickbait. I mean, Coyote Peterson, when they started that, I'm pretty sure, and I've not, I, one day we'll have him on the podcast, but... I'm pretty sure that was their ethos. They're like, look, let's get stung by something that's pretty nasty. People, it's right. going to go viral. And then we can do what we want to do, which is right. the educational side. We want to show this stuff how great it is. I mean, it, it's, you know, people like myself, right? We can make videos. I've made numerous incredible videos about wildlife. I put them on and they get a couple of thousand views, right? And it's that's just like, thing. wow, yeah. why do people? And now I've got this one video I shot of a black bear walking in an urban environment that's one of my specialties and it walked oh. around a house and a guy came out of his house at the same time they see each other and they both freak out and run <laughs> the other way right it's had right. over 23 million views on youtube it's about that's six to uh, 20 seconds long that's but, the thing it's like how do you as a as a creator your mind starts going to this place of like how do i how do i morph that because yeah. i can't keep making stuff that no one is watching however good it is right yeah that's and of true course that's like, where shark week is it's it knows what works the producers yeah, know I'm, what works i love bbc i love planet earth so i could sit there and listen to attenborough for hours i had the honor of meeting david 
shooting really quick sequence that never made the light of day. But he was such an amazing dude. And I, I, I'm the kind of person that appreciates natural history with no fucking people. But at the same time, <laughs> again, you can post that on your YouTube channel and people are like, ah, click, scroll. Uh, whoa, yeah. What's that? That looks like a guy's yeah. going to get his head bitten off. Six second shot. Whoa. Yeah. It's just how, how it works. works. Like, you can't really you can have both i think steve batchel does amazing job yeah i think a lot of the british presenters do an amazing job of giving you enough of the energy enough of the excitement but a yep. ton of the information, information. and all the beautiful yep. imagery. so um again it's a fine line it, it's hard to know really how to do it because you you know there, there is this side that you go okay i want to make really good informational videos that everyone's gonna love but people right. just don't, as you say it's not the way our marketing or i mean Everyone, including the BBC, have had to re-evaluate marketing for yeah. planet Earth. You know, they had to stand back when they for the first planet Earth and say, OK, we need to work out how the heck we get this stuff on social media and make people take note. And yeah. you know, I think with two, they had like Radiohead do the music for the trailer, right? Yeah. And it's like Radiohead, and it's like, wow, okay, that's one way. That's like getting a different audience in right away, right? right. And it was fantastic. But you, right. it's looking at those ways of how do you do it because we don't all want to sit around making stuff no one's where well, we can't sit around making yeah. stuff no one's watching, right? So I will have to say it was a huge. Uh, I, I had this experience at National Geographic once, uh, one of my very first months there. I went, I was invited into a development meeting and they're like, Andy, you know, you're new to the table. Like, what, what would you want to do? I'm like, oh man, I would like to make the ultimate film about sharks and how, you know, we need to respect them in the shark fin soup trade and this and that. And like, I noticed immediately as I started talking about conservation, everyone yeah. just started to glaze over and yeah, then yeah. like, oh, that's really cool. Thanks, Andy. And then later my buddy told me, he's like, listen, dude, Nat Geo right now doesn't yeah. do the sea. The I was going to say, he sea wasn't work. given the Concert memo. <laughs> they're like, they don't do conservation as in they do it, but you can't hit someone over the head with bloody yeah. sharks all day long because people at their regular jobs in real life, it's hard enough at work and some people are depressed. The last thing you want to do when they come home is turn on the TV and get more depressed. Yeah, They want to yeah. see something entertaining, something exciting. They want to learn something. Sure, you can. And that is kind of how a lot of these programs are doing the last 20 seconds. And these sharks are critical to the environment. They need to be protected. Yeah. Do everything we can. I got this everyday.com. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Over. Next. Breaching shark shot. Take it a baby's head off. <laughs> Up next <laughs> right, on Baby right. Killer. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I no, it, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of being stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Because you know you need it. But you, yeah. you, and you know, the nice thing now is obviously everyone is turning to conservation. I mean, now networks are, it's not the dirty word it used to be. It's now right. more, now we've got these SOVD um, uh, platforms like Netflix and Amazon Prime and what have you, where people can choose. You don't have to go, what's on at eight, at eight o'clock on BBC One or on Animal Planet? Or it's like, heck, there's, you just choose what you want. And, and I right. find what's incredible about that is now we're seeing Indian movies we're seeing british yeah. we're seeing scandinavian we're seeing korean all those things are taking off with an american audience on netflix which the networks never thought would happen and so right. that's why you know when i i was a presenter for eight years with nat geo for oh. national geographic international right so my shows went to 147 countries translated into 25 languages didn't come to north america so no one in New North America had any idea because North yeah. America didn't want a British guy on their TV, right? Which is bullshit because all the American girls love that British accent. <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah. Nobody likes that guy who's been throwing the big parties over in London right now or whatever's going on with that whole uh, Boris thing. But um, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I don't want no, I mean, it's changed now. It's changed. We're, we're a multi... The, the world has got much smaller. We're now multinational in terms of TV programming. I think it's fantastic because it's opened it up. And conservation is right. no longer a dirty word. And I think, right. you know, we've seen lots of success with some of the undercover uh, shark shows. You know, the cove right. with the dolphins and what have you was huge. So uh, you, have you done undercover work? I, I think you've got that on your website, haven't you? Have you ever done any actual kind of... Going yeah, funny that you say about the website. I'm literally building a new website for a different project right now. And I thought, I looked at my old website. It's like TV commercials, undercover. <laughs> right, yeah. That. I'm like, I, I did a few things. We'll wash your car. For... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to I need to remove. I remember I went on there once and it still said HDTV production. I'm like, right. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um That's some great. of the undercover stuff was uh was basically with some shark friends uh there was rob stewart uh there's yeah. these guys i mean i am i am the how do i say it i i'm a conservationist but i'm not an accomplished one as in i try but there are guys like sean heinrichs uh paul nicklin um rob stewart all oh, these guys that live and breathe it and i will yeah. never try to be someone i'm not i i sometimes sure. feel guilty that i'm not doing more but I, I, it's just the, uh, it's just the way my mind works. Yeah. And I also, if I was just pure conservation, I think I'd get burned out and start yeah. murdering people. I just start to internalize it, and like I can't. So I try to support them in every way I can, and uh, try to use the, the social media and my just sarcastic, unfiltered nature to just get people to listen. And if they don't want to listen, yeah. I mean, who am I? Another person with an opinion. Sure. Uh, but I do have a lot of experience with animals, and I, I've realized that they're way more polite, they're way more professional than humans often are. And and you can, if you spend enough time with them, you can learn to really um, get to know them, get amazing footage of them, get amazing sequences, and share that with the world to where they realize, wow, you know what? They they really aren't these horrific animals. It's you, we're, we're you just got to turn the camera around, and sure. you'll, you'll find yeah. the monsters. But um. You know, I also try to not demonize people as well because you alienate them. They're like, screw yeah. you, man. We're, we're, we're the top species. And if all the sharks disappear, at least we're still here. It's like, well, <laughs> not it's long. super connected and it's not going to work that way. Oh, yeah. But anyway. Well, OK, yeah, let's, let's move on. No, I, <laughs> I, no, no, I hear, I hear all of that with you. You know, funnily enough, I was just having a catch up conversation, which uh, which are like revisiting old podcast guests who are on in the last few years and doing it for our Patreon members. So it's like if you're a member of our Patreon account, you get these other catch-up conversations. And Stephanie has kind of left the TV. She was the uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom uh, host. Yes. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, she's great. And she's now um, the educational officer for, I'm not sure that's her title, actually, but she's working with the uh, Endangered Wolf uh, Center. And we were just talking yesterday about burnout and about the way that, you know, climate change, conservation issues, all of this, that when you're in that world and seeing it every day, it affects you so unbelievably emotionally and deep down that after a while, it, you wonder, you, you, you don't see a way out of it. You yeah, don't see you how we're going to fix It's too much. You're pessimistic and, and yeah. it's like a downward spiral. spiral. Yeah. As some people excel at it, I think like, yeah. Sean Heinrichs is a juggernaut. Like talk about undercover and the stuff that those guys have done and Louis Sahoyas and all those guys, like they do amazing stuff. 
And I'd love to support them and try. I remember for the longest time, Sean was trying to get break into Nat Geo and he was bringing all these conservation stories and I didn't really have the heart to tell him. I'm like, yeah. bro, they're not doing that right now. They, yeah. They're doing it a little bit, but they're- You, you got to kind of hide it. It's got to be, yeah. it's got to be under the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Built, so, built into it. Well, okay, let's, let's move on. Let's change it. Let's go over to technology because I know you're a, you're a cool. huge technology guy. I can tell that by your workshop you're in right now. And also, <laughs> you know, some of the clips you got, and funnily enough, when you was talking about your website, when you go on there, half the videos you have under your video link, there's no video. <laughs> they're, just, they're all uh, blanked out. They've all no, been taken kidding. away. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so to anyone listening, don't go to Andy's website until just he updates it. <laughs> or, or go to my Grinder account or something. Yeah, no, there just, you go. Instagram, where I keep uh, most active. So yeah, but yeah there you go. I'm just so, gonna spend some time on that. Yeah, there you go. Even my Rebuild. dad, he's like, dude, I'll build your website. Sentimental, like, oh, <laughs> I love. But anyway, uh, well, and the, the the you know, it used to be that we had websites purely for getting work, right? It yeah. was like a CV. And so yeah. you put this website up, and you sent people there, and oh, this kind of we will I'll open up a conversation now. It's not really like that. You've got enough work. You don't need to have it up saying you do HD productions. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I try to, if people ask, like, what's your latest project? I'll, I'll send them some uh, YouTube videos or, or Instagram or whatever. Try to, to keep it real. But, but yeah, exactly. It used to be our CV. I used to have yeah. all my gear there. Update. Okay, I got yeah. a Canon 5D Mark II now, and I've got yeah, this. Yeah. I, that's still there, yeah. I really want to hire you at some point to come and film on the 5D in HD <laughs> would be great if you can do HD <laughs> that'd be awesome <laughs> I love it. So love you do have the Phantom Flex on there, though, and you do have the okay. red weapon, and you do have a dragon. So uh, we're, we're going to talk about that. So first okay. of all, let, let's uh, let's have your updated camera list right now as to what yes. you're filming on. My go go to as of the past couple of years has been the AK Red Weapon Helium Sensor. Yeah. Uh, you know the Monstro was there, then the Komodo came out. Now the Raptor. Like it's so I still own my dragon. I still I have like a camera museum actually in my house that my I converted a pantry into this. All oh, this nice. stuff, all this stuff can kind of be in the elements. I'm in my garage in Florida, so I shouldn't give my address out or anything. But uh, right. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, it's not really air conditioned. I kind of have a little air conditioning here, but anything in here is mostly dive gear, stuff that can be out in the field and in the elements. And then I keep all my my electronic stuff really. Uh, but yeah, I have a Phantom Flex 4K, uh, amazing camera. It actually lives at a rental house in Miami because the the wildlife world is, you know, kind of pick and choose. Occasionally, I'll get a few jobs with it, but Miami is tons an of expensive. I mean, that's like a $150,000 camera. It was. I bought it like 10 years ago. It was a huge investment, but I had a lot of work for it lined up already. Yeah. Uh, and even the BBC would dry hire it. Nat Geo would yeah. dry hire it. Uh, I would get a lot of work where they would hire me, all the jumping slow-mo shark, shark week stuff. Yeah. And then that kind of like, you know, I, I think Alistair Fothergill killed it. He's like, oh, slow motion's not cool anymore. Right. <laughs> it's too much. We're not going to shoot anything in slow motion anymore because right. it's cheapens the i forget what he said i respect those sure. guys Matt, sure. Silverback, yeah, yeah. All those guys. they never hire me because i'm not good enough and i'm okay <laughs> with that but <laughs> bottom line is uh yeah i have a flex 4k which is an amazing camera uh, my go-to for underwater is 8k uh helium but i also love gopros i mean I i've been with the gopro family for 10 years and i i don't just say it because i'm sponsored by them sure. and i'm part of their family i'm just amazed at the footage i can get i always have a gopro mounted to my reds underwater 
one usually pointing back because I'm usually in the film and there's not usually another cameraman shooting me. And the quality, I had this show actually with Michael Phelps once. We tagged this uh, baby tiger shark. They named it after him. There was this big scene and I'm shooting it all on my red over in the Bahamas. And just as you know, it's taking forever. They, they tag it and then the tag's being weird and I'm filming and then I look down at my red. I'm like, holy shit, I have 3% of my card left. Don't tell me I'm gonna run out of my card right when they release yeah. Boomer. They named the Tiger Shark after his son. And I'm like, oh my God, luckily I had a GoPro. I think it was a Hero 7 at the time, shooting 4K60, dialed in with ProTune, low sharpness, low ISO, all the, uh, all the settings to get it to yeah, to look good. And I I read, I didn't say a word because if I did, it would have taken me 20 minutes to dry the housing, break it up. I rolled on the GoPro, still pretended I'm shooting on the red. I got the shot of the shark swimming away. I told the director, he's a friend of mine. I'm like, hey, bro, <laughs> I out of my red card right during the release. He's like, what? I'm like, don't worry. I got it all on the GoPro and I nailed it. I know I did. He's like, yeah. I hope so. He called me during the edit. He's like, dude, it cuts seamlessly. Great job. I'm so crazy, glad you did yeah. that. So uh, that's a little testament that a lot of yeah. people get intimidated by this uh, profession because they think I can't afford a hundred and fifty thousand dollar camera. Yeah. I can't afford a fifty thousand dollar red camera. Right. I can't even yeah. afford a. If you hopefully you can afford a three hundred dollar GoPro, and if you can't, there's always a way. I mean, everyone now, not everyone, but I think yeah. red somewhere. Elon Musk just posts like eighty percent of humans own a cell phone yeah and i would say most of them probably still are not you know have good cameras not all of them but a lot of them sure so you could still make amazing uh amazing imagery just with your phone just with a gopro and i i hate it when people try to make filmmaking Uh, i never went to film school and there's no dig at like people that did or the hollywood cine snob types that was just a dig (laughs) bottom line (laughs) I, I think you, anyone can get into anything if you put your mind to it and you're passionate and you work hard and you're kind. That's the other thing I learned. You can be the best cameraman in the world, but if you're a dick and you're not nice to work with and you're arrogant yeah. and you treat the staff or the crew with disrespect you or you just never work doing, again, you're not going to get many calls. You could no. be the greatest shooter on earth. So I, I try to instill that to a lot of people. I run these expeditions every year at Guadalupe. I call them cinema science expeditions because it's basically the concept of using cinematography and technology to convey and perpetuate science and conservation. Because video data, in my opinion, is the most powerful data. Essentially, yeah. camera footage, you're seeing what the shark does. You're, you're, you're getting, uh, you can even get the depth, the temperature, all that from these cameras these days. So you could be essentially contributing to science and research just by being a filmmaker or a yeah. cinema scientist. Um, and it's cool because I have like a variety of different styles of people that come out. Uh, and they all eventually go away saying that was the greatest experience of my life. And yeah. I'm like, you're saying yeah. that they're like, and it's not because of me, it's because of the great sure. white sharks and they're they're. I mean, it's hard yeah. to, they're it's hard to blow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Rick Rosenthal, he was the thir- the first um, guest I had on the show uh, a cool. few years back. And he was talking about, you know, the sale for, he did the, the, all the sale fin stuff for planet earth yeah. and obviously Super a ton fin. of other stuff, right? Great stuff. Um, yes. But he was, you know, what I loved about that episode is he said right at the near the beginning, he said he was a marine biologist. He went out, he wrote, he wrote a bunch of scientific papers and 12 people, he said, you know, as a joke, 12 people read those papers. He said yeah. all of the films combined have had over a billion views. There you, you go. Know? And he said that there's just no looking back as a scientist with a camera. You are a powerful person in the world of conservation. 
Yes. And so I meant to make that same point uh, when I decided to not become a scientist. And again, I love I have a lot of some of my best friends are great scientists and I, I work with scientists constantly and I massive respect for scientists. I mean, there's some good and bad ones, just like there's sure. some good and bad yeah, yeah, um, filmmakers. But <laughs> that's the thing. If you write the best scientific paper on Earth and it gets published in Nature or Science, I'm not going to quote the readership and the numbers, but the magnitude of your films being exposed to the world is exponential when it compared to someone reading a scientific journal. If you make a film that highlights the abstract in that paper and a billion people see it on YouTube, uh, you're going to get way more momentum behind your campaign, your initiative, or whatever you're trying to do uh, to get accomplished. So I think it's great. And Rick's a great guy. I've met him multiple yeah. times and shot with him in the field, but he always gets amazing footage. He's a funny dude. And uh, yeah. also him and his wife, Katya, I think it is. Yeah, uh, Katya, they're, yeah. they're a husband and wife team. That's right. Uh, yeah. So And I think she's yeah. a blonde sweet as well. She so is, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, they're, they're super cool. And, and I mean, it's it's. I just love that that way of thinking about it. Like a camera these days is, I mean, especially now, because of social media, because of YouTube, because there is no barrier to entry. Like you were saying, a GoPro, a phone, there's no barrier to distribution like there used to be. I mean, 20 right. years ago, if you had a camera, what'd you do with it? You put it on a hard drive and it sat here. You know, yeah. that was it. Yeah. But yeah. now you make your, look at, again, Coyote Pizza. Look at the guys out there who have millions of people following him. I mean, he's getting more viewership than most network TV <laughs> shows, right? And like uh, Mr. Beast. He, uh, my son Mr. loves Be- uh, right. Mark, Mark yeah. Rover, Mr. Beast. And I, at first I was like, Mr. Beast, what kind of weird name is that? Is this guy? And then I, oh, he's doing a bunch of Minecraft. Oh, wait, he just gave a $10,000 to a homeless guy. Wait, he yeah. just gave it with yeah. this. He started Team Trees, Team C's. It's like yeah. these YouTubers are changing the fucking world. And I, at first I used to tell people when I, 10 years ago, like don't film like a YouTuber, shaky, handheld, weird, stupid. Like yeah. now these YouTubers are paving the way and pioneering and getting, you know, Mr. Beast got more views on his squid game video than squid game did on fucking Netflix. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, That's what's insane. Is- and he filmed it with that. Well, he's probably got a good camera now, but he certainly didn't have a rig like they had. Right. No, I yeah. mean, it, it's it's another world. It's another world. You know, I filmed, uh, and, and this is another funny thing, uh, because I saw on your website, you also have an EX-1. You still have two? That's still I love, on there. Oh that's still God. on there. So I love that camera. I had that camera for years. I mean, it was Me a great too. camera. The little and, swivel swivel mount, the whole thing, compact. But, I broke mine in half on a polar bear. Uh, that flipping. one didn't have the swivel on it. Mine didn't. It was that. I think yeah. that was the uh, 700. The one that came out after the NS seven hundred, the EX one, did it have a swivel on it? It does have a swivel. I got two in the closet. Oh, I'm I'm just forgetting. I'm just forgetting. Sorry. (laughs) No, it was just a swivel mount because when you put it in the housing, you had to adjust it forty five degrees. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so I filmed bears with that for a long time. It was so nice because it was so compact. Everything was there. No wires hanging off it or anything like that. Run in a field, chase a bear around some urban areas. Not chase it, but you know, follow it. And and uh, I I filmed this incredible sequence of this bear climbing in pickup trucks, right? You know, going around homes in their garbage cans and barbecues and you name it. All on that. I had sticks with me, some lightweight sticks. Get down. I was getting these immaculate shots. And I've been, you know, selling them on uh, footage for news and for documentaries and all sorts. And then right. one day, uh, one I think the first people who came and bought like five or six clips from me, 
they they came and said oh, we love this this is fantastic have you got any any more that's really shaky uh, have you got any that's really <laughs> shaky and i'm like do you know how long i worked to get that stuff to look immaculate and they're like yeah it just needs more drama <laughs> you know so i'm like you gotta but do it in post <laughs> that's so true you, we went yeah. through that phase where it was like rock steady ronford baker sticks 150 yeah. mil head super solid pbs pans tilts this to like get behind the bushes i want the pov of the right. bear shake yeah. it a little run with the yeah. camera the more Parkinson's disease you have, the better. Right. That's not yeah, I mean, had I had a phone or a GoPro, they would have bought, I mean, I was selling those $500 a clip, right? Back in the day when, you know, that. Yeah. I mean, you still can now for good footage, but it's, you right. know, it's just a plethora of stuff out there. But it, the it, irony it, is everyone can film their stuff with their phones now. And they're, yep. they, they're happy with it. I, ironically, the, some of the bears I've been filming, the one bear actually that I've been filming, just made its Hollywood debut on the, that film, uh, Don't Look Up, with Leonardo no DiCaprio. That right oh, at the yeah, end. There's a bear in that, in that in montage a, of what people are doing before they the die. Yeah, and that is the bear that I've been following. No I way. Mean, there, there's, there's some talk about him actually having been euthanized now because of a dangerous situation. But that yeah. bear was taken by someone's cell phone in a, I won't say where, but in a Safeway store. And that's the bear that I've been tracking. And no um, and the irony is that someone's phone footage ended up in a Hollywood movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, right? And Jennifer Lawrence. So it just shows you it's good enough for that montage sequence, right? And I, just another comment on that. There was a series I worked on for Bering Sea called Bering Sea Gold up in Alaska about gold miners dredging under the Bering Sea. And one of the DPs, he's also a really high-powered D DP, Cameron Clendenning, uh, amazing dude, hardcore. Uh, um, he was uh, at a bar one night and a bar fight broke out amongst the cast. He broke out his iPhone and filmed it. And it is in the opening sequence of every bearing. Like it's in the sizzle for the show. On wow. an iPhone. Yeah. yeah. And got them all in Alexa's red camera. So the whole show shot in super ultra yeah. HD and his iPhone is intermixed. And they like that gritty. I mean, what? Yeah. what wouldn't want to shoot a bar fight on sticks and a, and a kick out. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. No, I think this is great news for up-and-coming filmmakers because one of the things I did, my wife is a, a mountain lion biologist, right? We, together when we met and we moved, when I moved over and we, we spent the first seven years doing, well, five years doing field work, seven years for the project. In five years, her and I captured and collared 72 mountain lions. Like putting GPS collars on. Where? So the, like all in, in Nevada. West. It was in Nevada. Oh, wow. So Just... the, the Tahoe Basin, yeah. Wow. And so we, uh, and it was the first lion research done in 40 years in Nevada. So it was kind of updating everything they knew about movement and prey selection and stuff like that. But um, I filmed a ton of stuff, most of it on the EX1R, right? When I had that little cam. And for years after we didn't do anything with it and then when we started looking at doing stuff and the camera world has just changed you know new cameras start coming out like crazy this is back in 2007 through about 2012 and and I, you know i really worried i'm like god if i try and do anything with this now it's yeah it's some of it's 720 some's 1080 but it's it's like 35 megabits it's like it's just not good enough it's not good enough it's not good enough but it, and but now now it's turned the other way. Now I'm like, well, look, if I film the other stuff on an FS7 or a RED, like the interviews, 
that stuff fits in perfectly because that is what people are looking for now. They want this yeah. this good mixture. You got a GoPro in there, fantastic. You got some phone footage, great. You know, it's it, one of my best selling shots of all time. It was on a GoPro Hero One of a well, two of my best selling shots, both on GoPro Hero Ones. When I look at them now, I'm mind blowing. Like, how could that? Did we even yeah. use this footage? Yeah. And it was a great white shark biting the camera and a, an al American alligator in the Everglades biting a camera. Both of them like wow. on a broomstick. Yeah. And these shots sold over and over and over again because it's visceral, it's viral, it's gritty. Yeah. Nobody cares that it was 720 and the most horrible low light camera in history. Uh, but now obviously the GoPros have made major strides. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's about it's really about, you know, Behavior. the yeah, what's in it? And, and you get behavior. And actually, it's a good segue into, you know, you, you are someone who has spent a ton of time with wildlife, right? You On your website, you're a, you know, a wildlife expert. How yeah. important is that as part of your, you know, your, there's so many people coming into this world now where, as I say, barrier to entry is gone. It's not the camera. It's not the distribution. Everyone can do it. What do you feel, though, that experience with wildlife brings to the table as a, a wildlife camera person? I mean, it, it's invaluable. There is there is no substitute for experience because and I, I don't like calling myself an expert. I'll use quotations around that. And, and uh, because you, you uh, I call myself a professional because that means I get paid for the work that I do. And I take my job professionally and I try to do expert work. But. The reality is, like as I said, there's no substitute for experience. And I've spent thousands of hours in the, in the water with all types of species of sharks. And I've met a handful of scientists that are experts, and they've never been underwater with that species right, yeah. they're an expert in. And uh, yeah. again, they're going to write a way better research paper, and they're going to get published, and they are doing their part. They're, they're helping sure. with the movement. But um, again, there's no substitute for being in the field, seeing it yourself, and living it. Um, but sometimes people are like, how the hell am I going to get polar bear experience if I want to specialize in polar bears? Read books, watch videos, talk yeah. to polar bear scientists, uh, go see polar bears. Eventually, I remember I got sent to India to make a King Cobra film uh, with my buddy Andy Mitchell, and I was so pumped. And then I realized I don't know anything about King Cobras. I know they're a big-ass snake with a lot of venom, and they can kill me. So <laughs> I better learn how fast can they move how fast yeah. can they strike how tall can they stand what's their range right Where which is really how, important as a camera person <laughs> yeah how, how do you not piss them off and so yeah. i did as much book work as i could i, I, I read a lot i started get, look reading on forums read every nat geo article all the discovery all the beeb articles everything but you could only learn so much from books as well then i started watching the videos that have been made in the past and then uh, if you've ever made a snake film or you know them a lot of them, you know, you, you even the wild snakes are very hard to film. So they'll often use snake wranglers that were, well, we actually were make, working a film with Ram Whitaker. He's a knight, Sir Ram Whitaker in India. And uh, it was called uh, Serpent King. And these, they developed this King Cobra squad, which would go around India because uh, King Cobras would get up in your rafter, in your bathtub, in your yeah. toilet, under it your bed. down on you. It dropped down. <laughs> yeah, or, or come, come out, out the, the toilet. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and as you know, they're not malicious. They're snakes. They don't want really sure. anything to do with people. Yeah, yeah. They're there to eat other snakes. They're snake yeah. eaters. So, anywhere you're going to have rats, you'll have king snakes, rat snakes, you'll have corn snakes, whatever it is, and the kings will come and eat those snakes. The cobra, so, they yeah, developed yeah. Yeah. a squad. They would go in, catch the kings, 
pull them out of the house and then relocate them. And it was really a, a fascinating to watch the King Cobra Scott squad work because they were very cavalier. I thought yeah. so. they'd, be yeah. king, they'd be striking at them. They'd be doing this. I was like, you guys don't need to do this for the camera. Like, right, this, right. like Oh, this is how we do it. We, uh, anyway, and then they would relocate them, and sure enough, the Kings had this homing, honing, homing sense, and they would end up back in these same regions after being relocated, uh, I don't know about hundreds of kilometers, but kilometers and kilometers away, yeah. and I, I learned a lot about Kings, and it was really cool, um, but again, no expert, but um, I, that, that, I would actually ask, like to ask you, because yeah. I remember um, there was an amazing cameraman named Bob Cranston, yeah. um, and he passed away a couple of years ago, but he taught me a lot about yeah. um, the business. And, and this is a funny story. He taught me, this was not the story I was going to tell, but he taught me, I was starting to ask him like, what should I charge as a cameraman? I don't know. I don't know my yeah. worth. I'm just starting out. He's like, listen, well, there's three different rates you should have. There's the standard rate, which it's going to be pegged against other cameramen of your, of your experience. It's pretty well known. The networks are going to know it. They're going to kind of offer you what they're going to offer. That's kind of a standard rate. Then there's the good guy rate. He's your best buddy. He's making a conservation film about pandas or the last snow leopard. He has no money, but you got the gear. He's going to cover your expenses. If it sells, you guys might make something, but it's the good guy rate. You're pretty much going to work for free. Then there's the asshole rate. You don't want to do the job. You don't like the director. You hate the idea. You just yeah. you say the highest possible rate you can imagine without and then double it. <laughs> And then double it, uh, yeah. hoping that they're going to say no. But if they say yes, you're like, all right, well, at least yeah. I'm getting a paycheck. Uh, uh, but so, but Bob also kind of said, he told me he, it was kind of funny because it, it sort of, I said, hey, man, like, should I specialize in sharks? Because I love them so much. He's like, well, if you specialize in sharks, you're never going to get a call to shoot lions again. Because I was doing lions and the polar bears. Yeah. Uh, you're never going to get a call to do this, but he's like, Hey, if you want to do sharks and that's what you want to do, you should specialize. But he's like, it's also nice to do other things. Humboldt yeah. squid, do whales or whatever. It turns out I ended up specializing in sharks and I don't get those calls much anymore for the other species. But I recommend to people out there that are starting out is to try a little bit of everything. I did do a ton of time-lapse, a ton of long lens, drone stuff, underwater, topside. And I learned what I like and don't like. Um, I love drones. I love remote, remote stuff. I love yeah, undercover. Yeah. <laughs> I love, um, I love, uh, but then, you know, time and time again, I find myself on shark shoots with my 2d camera, my red, my workhorse. And then there's someone else flying drones, someone else doing time-lapse, someone else that has specialized in that field. Yeah. So as people that are up and coming, I recommend try a little bit of everything. Don't just try to force yourself into what you really want to do unless you really, really only know you want to do that. Cause you might find that you love time-lapse. I still love time-lapse and I still yeah. know how to do it. I, I love um, drones. Like I said, so you may find yourself eventually being kind of, you know, specialized by the industry <laughs> because as you know, the BBC has their long lens guys, their Raptor yeah. guys, their rope access guys, their cave rebreather dudes. I'm yeah. actually working on a rebreather project right now. It was, I was reluctant to sign on for it, but I just did my training this weekend. I was already certified. I've got two rebreathers here in the garage that have been collecting dust for 10 years. Wow. I had two friends, two close friends die on rebreathers. And I, uh, you know, it's uh, not that it was just the rebreathers' fault. There's always sure. some element of human yeah. error from what I've seen. Not always, but from, from what I've seen. So 
anyway, that was a ramble other than like um, when people often ask me like, hey, should I specialize or what What should I, how do I get in the business? I'm like, yeah. carry some get bags for some guy, bring in the coffee. Everyone's got to start somewhere. I started as an unpaid research cameraman shooting dorsal fin IDs, playing my shark song to make a hundred rand a day if I was lucky, which was $14 back then a day. Uh, but that was enough to buy beer, food, and have the most amazing time of my life right. learning about sharks. Yeah. I wish it was seven bucks a day. Then it could be like The Rock, you know, because he only had seven bucks. <laughs> right. Now he's the, the coolest, awesomest dude in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if there's anybody out there that's watching this that wants any advice from me, from Jake, from anyone, obviously, Jake, I know you you, you probably do uh, some of these intro, outro things, but uh, I'm really passionate about uh, sharing my stories about uh, uh, trying to demystify that you don't have to be the best cameraman, camera woman, camera, anything in the world. If you work hard, you're passionate, you love something, you can accomplish a lot. And we're here to help you hit us up on whatever, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. Just um, not your website. I, I think, uh, <laughs> just don't, don't not go to my website. I'm going to jump on there tonight and at least take <laughs> one. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Jake, I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun, man. Um, I, I'll, I want to jump on and listen to the rest of these and um, let me know when it broadcasts or airs and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, shout it out and, and listen to it. And uh, I appreciate it, man. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. I know you're busy. Thanks for taking time out. Uh, awesome. We'll chat again soon. Cheers. Yeah, man. Take care. Cheers. See you guys. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. If you did, please consider leaving a rating, a comment, and please subscribe if you haven't already done so. You know, by leaving ratings on your favorite places where you get your podcasts from really helps because it helps the Google machine find these podcast episodes. It helps rate them. It helps rank them. It just helps in general with more listeners finding. And, you know, whenever I find a new podcast, I like to look at the reviews, the ratings, see what people think to it. So it really help me out if you could leave a rating. Apple Podcasts, great place to do it. Just go on there. Write something in there. Tell us what you thought. Could be just about the podcast in general or a particular episode. Uh, really appreciate it if you can do that. And also, if you are serious about a career in wildlife filmmaking, then head over to jakewillers.com and check out all the free trainings that I have for you there. Not only are there free trainings, it's it's a place to go to find out about how you can break into the industry. I have the mentoring group there where you can join and really ask me questions on a weekly basis about the industry and what you need to do to break into it. It's also the home to the podcast. If you go to the podcast link, you will find all of these podcast episodes, RSS feeds. You can listen to them there. You can read bios of my guests. You can find all the links of how to contact guests. And you can find the YouTube links as well. So you can go watch the guests. You can watch these episodes on YouTube. Again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'll see you next time. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.